0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. All right. Well, we are going to continue. We're in chapter four of our Galatians series. And, you know, my hopes was is that we would actually finish up this chapter today. Uh, Surprise. We're not going to be able to do that. Um, And the reason is, is we're going to come across a passage today that is so important. Uh, I... It's so critical, you'll be hard-pressed to find another verse in the New Testament that has left a mark like this one in regard to, and not in a good way, in regard to building walls, in regard to building that wall that Yeshua himself tore down uh, between the Jew and Gentile. I mean, this verse has left the mark, And so, unfortunately, there's no way that I could possibly spend enough time on this that you can feel the weight and the gravity, the impact of this verse on Christianity. I mean, it's huge. And so, we are really going to be digging into this uh, one particular passage today. But last week, we landed off at verse 7, so we're going to pick it up there, and this is what we read. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Mashiach. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. He's talking to the Galatians. He is taking them back to the time before they were in the faith. And he's reminding them, when they were in that time period, when they were there, they had patterns, behaviors, certain things that they were practicing and believing they were grabbing on to inventions of man's minds. These are the things that they were to—they they, they were clinging on to. This is how they lived their life. And so Paul takes them back to that place. And then we go on to verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, what does he say here? How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? So what he's saying, you weren't in the faith, but now you've come into the faith But what are you doing? You're turning back to the weak and beggarly elements. Now, be very clear on this. Even when you go into the Greek on this, what you see is that they are turning to things that do not profit. They are turning to worthless things, things that make no difference against the indulgences of the flesh, things that have no power against the enemy that is coming to steal, kill, and destroy, that is coming to take them out. They're profitless. They have no value. And we learn something else. They're not just harmless. Because he goes on and says, to which you desire again to be in bondage. That's frightening because these things that they're grabbing hold of, they're leading them off a cliff. And the question is, is oh my, what are the Galatians getting themselves into? What is it that they're observing that is weak and beggarly? What is taking them off this cliff? Well, as we continue, we read. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I labored for you in vain. This is what it is. This is what they are observing. This is what they're falling into. These are the weak and beggarly elements. Observing days, months, seasons, and years. Now, here's the interesting thing before we really get into this. We know the primary thrust of this epistle absolutely. In fact, throughout the New Testament, you see this. There's no question. The most controversial issue of the day is circumcision. Believing Pharisees were going out telling Gentiles, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. Now, guess what we learn right here? Well, there is the subtext. There are other things. I mean, do we really think that these believing Pharisees, they rolled into town, they say, hey, you know what? You're not circumcised. You need to get circumcised. have a nice day. We're, we're leaving. No. They came in and they brought a lot more with them. Here's some evidence. This is the subtext. Now we're getting to see there's other things that they left, a remnant, a residue of teaching, and they were grabbing hold of it. But it leaves us to ask the question, what do they mean by observing days, months, seasons, and years? I mean, because you look at this, it sounds pretty straightforward, let's be honest. It sounds like days, we're talking about Shabbats, and months, new moons, right? And seasons, feasts. I mean, this is how, and guess what? This is how this is traditionally understood. This is how Christians for millennia have looked at this, whether we're talking about modern-day Christianity or whether we're talking about early Christianity. And to help you appreciate this, to help you feel the gravity of this situation, the gravity of Galatians 4.10, the impact that it has made on the church, let me just share with you a little bit of history. I want to take you to the letter of of Ignatius to the Magnesians. And this goes back to, they say, to the first century. And there's debate about that, that it's in the second century. There's debate about whether Ignatius even wrote the letter. None of that matters. We know one thing. This is early Christian thought. And here's the statement. The statement is, let us therefore no longer keep the Sabbath after, pay attention to the verbiage here, the Jewish manner. And rejoice in the days of idleness, for uh, he that does not work, let him not eat. Okay, so you you look at this, let us no longer keep the Shabbat. Where do you think they got this from? This letter to Ignatius, I will tell you, it is explicitly from Galatians 4.10. This is where they derived this understanding. This is why they are proclaiming this, and not in the Jewish manner. See, because I want you to understand something. All these things, the Shabbats, the new moons, okay, the the festivals, the Yom Kippur and Pesach, all of these things in Christian to this very day are Jewish. They are not Christian. They're very unchristian. And this is the divide. Do you see this? And the way that we're looking at Galatians 4.10, powerful impact on the church. Let me take you to the council of Laodicea. And show you how this reverberates throughout history. And this is in the 4th century. It is not lawful to receive portions sent from the feasts of the Jews. Isn't that interesting? Not from the feasts of the Jews or heretics or to feast together with them. Lumping Jews and heretics together. The very Christian thing to do in the 4th century. But the key thing is, is you're not to receive any food from their feasts such as Passover. Passover, let me continue, let me show you the next one. The next uh, canon was canon 38, Um, and it says this, it is not lawful to receive unleavened bread. That comes from Passover. Unleavened bread from the Jews, nor to be partakers of their impiety. It comes directly from Galatians 4.10. The way the men interpreted this verse, this tiny little verse and the mark it has left on Christianity. Incredible. Canon, I'll show you one more. Canon 29. Christians must not Judaize. They must not Judaize by resting on the Shabbat, but must work on that day, rather honoring the Lord's day. And if they can, then resting then as Christians. Separate the Jew from the Gentile. The Jewish Sabbath, that is about Judaizing. That's what that is. And this is where they're coming from. But if any shall be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema from Christ. Now, remember Galatians 4.10. See, they're turning to the weak and beggarly elements, to things that are going to pull them into bondage. This is where the verbiage comes from. Galatians 4.10. Let me show you the Visigothic professions. You want to talk about nailing it, look at this. We will not practice carnal circumcision, which we know is an issue, celebrate the Passover, the Sabbath, or the other feast days connected with the Jewish religion. Galatians 4.10. Who can imagine the power of such a little verse and the impact it can have on the church? Let me take you back in the first week I shared with you some commentary from John Chrysostom in regard to how he views the issues that are happening in Galatia. I want to take you back to this and show you what he says. Some of the Jews believed Uh, Some of the Jews who believed being held down by the prepossessions of Judaism and at the same time intoxicated by vainglory and desirous of obtaining for themselves the dignity of teachers came to the Galatians and taught them that, now listen to this, the observance of circumcision, Sabbaths, and new moons was necessary and that Paul in abolishing these things was not to be born. Again, I tell you, Galatians 4.10 literally drawing out. And so it's interesting. Yes, circumcision wasn't a real issue and they dealt with that. But what was the other thing that had to be dealt with? You observe days, months, seasons and years. This is the other thing that had to be dealt with. I mean, how you look at this this little tiny verse that is hidden in this little tiny epistle have such a profound impact On the way we look at the Bible, the way Christians understand the Bible, literally the way they practice the faith the way they walk it out. This is amazing. And that's why I'm saying I couldn't possibly spend enough time on Galatians 4.10 today. Considering the havoc it has caused. Considering how people look at it and how they have traditionally looked at it over and over again. The question remains... What is Paul talking about? What is Paul really conveying to the Galatians? Is he telling them, oh, you should abandon the Shabbat, you should not observe the Passover. All these things, Yom Kippur is bondage. Is that the truth? Absolutely not. And I, I could actually say not exactly. Not exactly. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. If we attempt... To walk away with Christendom's traditional takeaway from Galatians 4.10. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have a problem right off the bat. A significant problem. Number one, it's not consistent with scripture. It's completely inconsistent. And you need to remember that literally the foundation for good biblical exegesis. Nay, I say the cornerstone for good biblical exegesis is consistency. So when you're reading the word and you think it says this, let me tell you something. You should be able to go to the totality of the word and support your interpretation, your understanding. It has to be consistent. We don't get to just start tearing out pages out of our Bible because we don't like something. You know, I think of Ian McKellen. I read this article on him. And when he goes into hotels, he rips out all the passages that talk about homosexuality. Leaves the rest of the Bible intact, but he rips those out when, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, that's terrible. You know what? Christians have been doing that for hundreds and if not thousands of years. All the way back to the first century, Christians have been doing this, tearing out pages of the Bible. But that's not good biblical exegesis. We may not like what it says, but you know what? You got to deal with it. Amen? Amen. In fact, let me offer some evidence, and I could spend the rest of today, in fact, we could spend the next couple weeks doing nothing but offering evidence to show that the common understanding and the takeaway of Galatians 4.10 is not appropriate. It cannot be. There's contradictions everywhere. For example, if you were paying attention last week, all right, we were reading in, in 1 Corinthians, what were we reading? We're actually commanded to keep the Passover, and Paul is specifically talking to the Gentiles. Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Mashiach, our Pesach, was sacrificed for us. And here's the command. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Understand, Paul is talking to Gentiles and commanding them to keep the festival of Passover. Do we really believe for one second that he's commanding the Galatians something completely different? These Gentiles and the Gentiles in Corinth something completely different? See, something's wrong. And then, lest we forget, what does Yeshua say? As he's having this, this Passover meal with his disciples, he tells them, and pro- it's, if it's even prophecy, we could get deeper, but he tells them, as long as you do this, in other words, it wasn't to cease upon my death and resurrection, it was to go on. What does he tell them? As long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And read Revelation. Read Matthew 8. We're not just going to keep the Passover in this age, we're going to keep it in the age to come. Okay, that's powerful. And so just in that little bit, so this concept that you see, and I just showed you a a glimpse of Christian history, which I could show you much more, of the attacking of the Jewish festivals, things like Passover. That that is not Christian. That's not what we're supposed to do. We've been called to something completely different based upon Galatians 4.10. Well, you have a problem. You have an interpretation problem. We're up against this. What about the Shabbat? Is Paul telling us in Galatians 4.10, we're not supposed to keep the Shabbat? Again, you have a significant problem. Why? Because everywhere you read, look at the New Testament. you know in the New Testament per page, the Shabbat is mentioned more than in the Tanakh? Amazing. And where, do you, where are the people on Shabbat? They're in the synagogues, listening to Torah. What was the expectation of the Gentiles in Acts 15 is that they would be in the synagogues on, in, in, on Shabbat, listening to the Torah. That was the expectation, unless you forget, the explicit, and it couldn't be defined more beautifully and are, it, it, clearly, the specific command to Gentiles, not to proselytes, not to Jews. But the specific command to Gentiles that they were to observe the Shabbat. You find that in Isaiah 56. And I didn't put it up here, but let me just read this. Do not let the son of the foreigner, meaning the Gentile, who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And then he goes on to say, to those who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me, holds fast my covenant, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. We're talking about receiving eternal life. Specifically talking about Gentiles observing the Shabbat. Okay, but it gets even better. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. To love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. In other words, Gentiles, the prophecy And this command for Gentiles to keep the Shabbat is that it's prophetic that God is going to take the Gentiles and graft them into Israel. And the reminder is keep the Sabbath. Okay? So this is what I'm talking about as we're looking at this traditional takeaway as we look at uh, Galatians 4.10. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. You cannot possibly understand it traditionally as it is being sold. We cannot buy it. There's contradictions, but we still have an issue. What does it mean? What does Paul, what is he conveying here? You observe days, months, seasons, and years. Well, the way I want to break into this, I want to begin by taking you some commentary and offer this commentary as a springboard to a particular passage I want to focus on uh, in the New Testament. Now, before we get into this, I want to be clear on something. The commentary I'm about to show you, it is not a Jewish commentary. The commentary I'm about to show you is not a Messianic commentary. It is not a Hebrew roots or a variation thereof. This is explicitly a Christian commentary. And I want to show this to you because it identifies something that is so critically important about the text. And this is something that makes a significant difference on how we actually draw this interpretation, how we understand what Paul is saying. Now, this commentary comes to us from the Cambridge Bible uh, for schools and colleges, and it is explicitly in regard to Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 10. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. Listen to how this opens up. This is what is said. The whole meaning of the verse depends on the sense attached to this word. Parace is what is being what what is being referred to here paraterce and so this is you observe and what this is saying and this is crucial you want to understand what Galatians 410 is all about you have to understand paraterste pay attention to that there's something revealing about this it 's the key to unlocking the understanding now it goes on to explain this it is uh, compounded of a verb um, and this is tereo okay so this para tereste, that's a compound Greek word okay now so when it's talking about it's compounded of a verb it's tereo which means to observe and a preposition which is para in, or para in the Greek and it simply means next to or alongside okay which implies that uh, either the purpose of the method of observation is bad Did you get that? The purpose and method of observation is bad. This is in the negative context. This is not good. The simple verb, tereo again, and corresponding noun are commonly used in the New Testament in a good sense, but the compound is never so used. In other words, this is never used in the positive context. So when we're reading Galatians 4.10, it is absolutely fundamentally the Galatians are screwing up. There's something wrong here. And that's first and foremost that we need to understand. But then it goes on. Listen to this. St. Paul is not condemning the observance of days and months and times and years, but their misobservance. Game changer. We're talking about altering church history right here with this statement. He's not condemning this, this concept of keeping days, months, seasons, and years. It's the misobservance of it. In other words, there's something about their way they're doing it, about what they're inheriting while they're doing this, that is awry. That is wrong. It goes on. Compare. So now here the commentary, silly commentary, offering scripture. Compare Colossians 2.16, where not the simple observance is condemned. Absolutely breathtaking. So here this commentary recognizes something critically important. Wow, well, let's look at the other scriptures. Let's look at what Paul also says to the other people in, different, in his different epistles. And does this line up and what this says? No. The traditional understanding that we're banned from keeping Shabbat and, and festivals and Pesach and so forth, that cannot be the understanding because in Colossians chapter 2, Paul doesn't condemn the simple observance you see the beauty of this? Do you see the beauty of scripture that holds you, it confines you from derailing, getting yourself into what you now see, a wall as high as you can see that has divided the Jew from the Gentile. And we can trace it back to Galatians 4.10. Again, you, you cannot measure the damage that has been done through misunderstanding this one little passage Now, it goes on to say, but the slavery, which is involved in its being required for salvation. I understand that. And dishonor, which is done to Christ by adding to his perfect righteousness. Moving on. There is clearly no exemption here from the obligation of the observance of the seventh day. Did you hear that? There is no exemption here from the obligation of this observance of the seventh day. We're supposed to do this. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Remember, this is Christian commentary, so we kind of get off point here. It's interesting, but... The law of the Sabbath, an example of one weekly day of holy rest in God, the seventh in the Jewish, the first in the Christian church. Now, again, this is Christian commentary, and I agree with everything. The primary thrust of this is unbelievable. It's fantastic. It's right on point. But, again, you can see... The baggage that we get inherited over the years of how it saturates into the mind. So there he separates, but it's interesting. He, off the bat, calls it the observance of the seventh day, not the first day. So you see, isn't that interesting that when people get caught in this, when you're not standing fully on full truth, you will do what? You will contradict yourself. There'll be a contradiction. But I I don't want to get off point here. It was instituted, and we're talking about the Sabbath, it was instituted in paradise. Remember the garden of before in creation to so think about Adam and Eve. Okay. In creation, when the world was perfect, when mankind was perfect, they were observing Shabbat. Okay. Incorporated into the decalogue at Mount Sinai, put on a new foundation by the resurrection of Mashiach and is an absolute necessity for public worship and the welfare of man. Wow. You want to talk about commentary, but here's the thing, it's not done. Now we're gonna come to the clincher. What St. Paul condemns is the observance of the day in a legal spirit in compliance with the minute and childish prohibitions, oh, of the rabbinic system. The rabbinic system as a matter of merit with God. Man, you want we had to go a long way to get here, but this is it. This is the point. This is the reality behind Galatians four ten. You understand what he's condemning them of? Pay close attention to what he just says. Because he's dead on. The Galatians were embracing a rabbinical system of commandments as a matter of merit with God. Paul is not condemning them for observing days, months, seasons, and years, for observing the Passover. He's not condemning them for observing the Sabbath. He's condemning them for taking on these rabbinical enactments like a boat takes on water. This is what he's condemning them for, and you know. And you think about it, you know. The Christians kind of get themselves and <laughs> back themselves in a quarter on this, because they also have issues on their side. Because guess what? They celebrate Christmas, they celebrate Easter, and they celebrate Sunday Sabbath. They're observing days and months. This is the reality, and so you don't even think about that. And we won't go down that road. But when we look at this passage. In Galatians 4.10, understand this is the context. The weak and beggarly elements are those very things which were imposed by the rabbis, which were imposed by these Pharisees who were going out teaching that unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved, and that's not all they give them. And then they started to load these traditions, which Yeshua says are hard to bear, but they themselves will not lift them with one finger. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear. And this is what was happening. And guess what? And Here's the problem with it. Why they are weak and beggarly. Why they are without profit. Because they're of no value against the flesh. They're no value for you against the, the true war that we're having against attacks of the adversary. As he comes against us. As he comes against you in your mind. And just literally seeks to destroy you. To get you to curl up in the ball. To get you to stop following after God because he sows fear into your heart. The master controller. I'm going to tell you right now, those rabbinical enactments aren't going to do you a bit of good. But the word of God, that's powerful. Word of the word, where the word of the king is, there is power. And so that is profitable. And this is, this is the issue that we're having to deal with. Now, to help you further appreciate this, I, I want to take you to the actual passage that was quoted In the commentary, Colossians 2, and uh, I I want you to see, Paul has some things that he says here firsthand, and and really what we want to do is we just want to stack up Galatians 4 right next to Colossians 2, because what you see is there's this perfect symmetry. It's unbelievable. In other words, Paul's telling the Colossians the very exact same thing that he is telling the Galatians, and again, this is going to help us This is going to round us out in understanding what's actually being said and what isn't being said. So going to Colossians 2 verse 16, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath. So there we have those terms that uh, the apostle Paul is using of festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. And that mirrors exactly what we read in Galatians 4.10 of, of days, months, seasons, and years. Now, you may be looking at this and say, well, Daniel, you know, that doesn't exactly, I mean, it is a little bit different. Paul doesn't use the term Sabbath. He doesn't use the term new moons. He, he doesn't do that. Um, let me say this, when you look, and there's a reason why many of the scholars, when they, when they approach this, there isn't a doubt in the mind that Paul, in Galatians 4.10, is referring to Shabbats, to new moons, to feasts and sabbatical years. There isn't a question, and let me help you understand why. When you go to the Tanakh, do you understand that Paul's structure, his format that he lays out here, it is identical to what is laid out in the Tanakh. And so it kind of kinda kills the argument. I mean, you base it upon Paul's other epistles such as Colossians, uh, and then also the Tanakh. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. And I'll put this up here. First Chronicles twenty three, thirty-one. And at every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the set feast. Now is this interesting, so Paul, he's an expert in the law, he's an expert in the Torah, this guy knows his scripture, is it a coincidence that he lays out Sabbath, new moons, feasts, exact order, days, months, and seasons, exact same order, verbatim. See, this is is natural for, for Paul to do this. There wasn't a question about what he was dealing with, okay? So we are actually dealing with the Sabbath, we're dealing with new moons, And and which you're acknowledging the Jewish calendar, so on and so forth. All right? So going back here, Colossians 2.16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Now, the first thing I want to point out here as we look at this, Paul warns them, don't let anyone judge you. What does that tell you? It tells you they're going to be doing these things. Obviously, they're going to be eating food. They're going to be drinking they're going to be doing these things. They're going to be keeping Sabbaths. They're going to be keeping. They're going to be identifying with the Jewish calendar. These are things that they're going to do, but Paul sends a warning: Don't let man come against you. Don't let them judge you. But he continues on in verse seventeen, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Messiah. Now here he shows: Okay, they are prophetic, and I mean even in eating and drinking is prophetic. All you got to do is, you look at the New Testament, this isn't a question, especially when you talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and you you read Matthew 8, that Gentiles are going to come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're going to eat a meal in in the kingdom of God. Uh, The Sabbaths, they are prophetic. Passover is prophetic. Yom Kippur is prophetic. Sukkot is prophetic. It's all prophetic. And it all is about one. It's about the Messiah, Yeshua. All these festivals are centered around one. The meal we're going to be eating in the kingdom to come, it's going to be centered around the Lamb of God. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, dropping down to verse 20, I want to get to my point. Therefore, if you died with Mashiach from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Yeah, and I want to point out, I want to bring Galatians 4.9 up here. And I want you to see it's the same, same the very same pattern. So in Colossians 2, he talks about you've died with Christ. In other words, you've come into the faith. Okay, this is what he says to the Colossians. You've come into the faith, away from the principles of the world. Why is the living of the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Sound familiar? Because he says that exact same thing. say so you came into the faith, but you're returning now. This is what he says in Colossians. You're going back. You're subjecting yourselves to regulations. It says the exact same thing here. But now after you're known by God, or rather known by God, you're in the faith, how is it again that you turn to the weak and beggarly elements? So you're turning back. Furthermore, which what is interesting is this, stoicheion, the principles and elements, it's the same Greek word. It comes to us differently, at least in the New King James' is different uh, uh, English words, but it's the same Greek word. And so the only point I want to make here is, I mean, these are parallel statements. Very same context. Now that's very important as we continue. In verse 21, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Okay, so he's getting in this part, let no one judge you, okay, regarding these things, Sabbath, so on and so forth, eating, drinking. And now we come to the do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things, which perish with the using Oh, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So the very, same, the very thing that he's attacking and telling them, let no one judge you in, it's not that, hey, let no one judge you whether you keep or don't keep the Sabbath or eat or don't eat. That's just not what he's saying. He's actually saying there's talking there's rabbinical enactments that have been attached to all these things. And all you need to do is pull out your Talmud and start looking at things like Shabbat and the feast, and food, and drink. And what you will find is a plethora of rabbinical enactments attached to these things. This is what you find. And this is what he's dealing with, these commandments of men. Which is exactly why at that end of that commentary we read, what St. Paul condemns is the observance of the day in a legal spirit in compliance with the minute and childish prohibitions of rabbinic system. The rabbinic system, these rabbinical enactments, these things that were added uh, to the commandments of God, but were thought to be religiously profitable, necessary. This is the way it is portrayed to the point where if you don't wash your hands before eating your food, you've rendered your entire body unclean. In fact, the rabbis take it so far that you need to be excommunicated if you do not wash your hands, which is why it was so offensive Go back and read Matthew 15. This is why it was such a a grievous error that Yeshua's disciples were eating bread with unwashed hands. Because tradition says you're to be cut off. Cut off from the family. Think about that. You're to be cut off from the family of Israel. Powerful. See, these aren't just mere, uh, we do this if if we feel like it, tradition type things. This is not what was being conveyed. What these men were going out and conveying and, and, and literally telling the Colossians and telling the Galatians, it was weighty. And they conveyed it as such. All right? And so when we look at Galatians 4 this way, uh, really through this lens, when we look at Galatians 4 through the lens of Colossians 2, okay, and through the totality of Scripture, see, it really starts to sh- take shape and take form. Amen? Amen. Paul is not saying that Sabbaths are bad and that we should avoid Passover or Jewish months like the plague, like the Christian church has established. And you can just go to their own writings. There's to be no association with the Jews or to their feast or to the Jewish Sabbath at all. It's anathema. And even to this day, now you see the residue of that. You see what was built and established that, I mean, there are, there are Christians that really don't have a clue about what, what's a Passover. I mean, I've heard about it, but I don't know much about it. A Yom Kippur, what's Yom Kippur? I mean, they don't even know. Do you see how far removed? Do you see how high that wall has gotten? All right, with that out of the way, I want to move on in chapter 4 and get as far as we can today. Going on to verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. It's interesting. Paul says the same thing to the, to the Corinthians in chapter 9. He says, I've become all things to all people. And there was a purpose of why he did that. That I might save some. And so this tells you how Paul, he's reminding the Galatians how he came in among them. He came in humbly. He came in humbly. And again, he's pleading with them. Now's the time to turn. And it's interesting that he says this. I urge you to become like me. Now he's telling them, okay, I became like you, but now it's time that you become like me. It is time that you come back. Come back to what I originally uh, delivered to you. Moving on to verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God even as Messiah Yeshua. Now, this is an interesting passage. I mean, there's, there's a lot here. You know, number one, you'll notice Paul, right off the bat, was not some GQ, stylish, latest hairstyle, trendy, clothes-wearing preacher. This is not who he was. In fact, today, if he was alive today and going out preaching, no one would pay attention to him at all. Because he was repulsive, essentially, to look at, you know, his in, in, in um, Corinthians in his letter Second Corinthians in chapter ten, it literally says his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible, meaning he had he was a horrible speaker, a horrible orator. Yeah, his le- his letters are weighty and powerful, but have you seen him? He's nothing to look at, at all, and he's not even anything to hear. You think about that concept of how. The Lord takes those who look like the off of the world uh, to mock the proud. Paul is that character. And this is interesting because now here we're in this part in Galatians where we're at a turning point. We're at a turning point where up to this point, even up to all the way through, is vehement rebuke. Vehement rebuke against the Galatians. But now we've crested we've over the hill, and now he's, he's, he's being gentle. A point and commending them. You guys have done well. Do you remember how you received me? This indicates that you know what? He wasn't readily received because of his physical appearance, because of what he was dealing with, because of his contemptible speech. He would try to get words out, he probably mumbled them. You know, Moses was the same way. Horrible speaker to the point where he had to give him Aaron. Aaron was a good mouthpiece. And so here you have this situation. Paul reminds them, he commends them. You received me. And he didn't, they didn't just receive him. They received him as an angel of, of light, an uh, angel of God. Not just that, they received him as Yeshua himself came to them. You could not possibly commend them better than he did. That if it was Yeshua himself, that's the love, that's the openness, that's the willingness that they had. They had begun in the spirit, but they have derailed. Now, in regard to Paul's physical infirmity, I want to talk a little bit about this so that we have better perspective and so we can feel the weight of it, of really what Paul was going through and why he was going through it. Um, There's a little bit of debate in regard to what he was dealing with and just really interesting commentaries all over the place, whether he had epilepsy or malaria, other things, and none of which I subscribe to at all. I mean, this is just men's doing this. But here's the interesting thing. While we may not say for certain exactly what Paul was dealing with, Paul gives us some real insight into what he was dealing with and that it had something to do with his eyes. Because look at what he says next in verse 15. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now think about that statement. You would have plucked out your own eyes. So Paul makes that statement intentionally, in conjunction with his infirmity. I mean, literally back to back. And so there's no question here of that there's something going on with his eyes and who knows what that is. I mean, he might've had goop pouring out of his eyes. That certainly wouldn't be enjoyable to look at. But whatever it was, we know it was open. His infirmity was open, open for people to see. All right. And so what I wanna do is I wanna build into this And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians for a moment because he's going to talk, he's going to unpack this infirmity that he's dealing with, with the Galatians. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Now, I want to stop right here because I got to tell you, you need to appreciate the writings of the apostle Paul. He tells us he was given an abundance of revelation. This turns his epistles, and this is one of the things, you know, long, long, long ago, I came across this, and it's one of those that stops you in your tracks, and you just meditate on it and let it sink in. That I came to this realization through Paul's own letters that God supernaturally gave him something very few men possessed on planet earth at the time and this is in a ridiculous amount abundant of revelations and it wasn't a revelation on where the stock market was going it had everything to do with the kingdom of God and so what i'm saying is you want you need to reread Paul's epistles because there's extreme value to them he was very unique All this revelation was given to him. But I'm going to tell you, it came at a price. And so because of the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Oh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. In other words, to beat him. Think about this. Here you have a man who goes out. Clothes, cloths are being taken from him to other people. Evil spirits are being cast out. People are supernaturally being healed. He is raising the dead read acts. He's doing all these things yet. He himself is afflicted. And you think about this. A demonic spirit was afflicting Paul. He was given this affliction. Why? Lest he should be exalted above measure. Makes you look at things differently with those who are going through trials and tribulations that may be suffering from a tribulation in their flesh. You want to be careful not to judge that person because, you know, you get into the word of faith and it's just like, that person doesn't have faith to be healed. I, I caution you because that, that's what you would say about the Apostle Paul today. Not realizing that God was keeping him humble Because of how much of the spirit of God has been poured on. You want to talk about a cross to bear. And for the sake of the Galatians. This is the cross he bore. He bore being afflicted by a demonic spirit. And if you thought it wasn't a big deal. He goes on and says concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times. That it might depart from me. He was begging. Take it from me. This is not something Paul really could handle. He hated it. But then the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Mashiach may rest upon me. You think about that is powerful. That the Lord's strength is only made perfect in weakness. That needs to give you a completely different understanding of what you may be going through. And this is why Paul himself to the Romans says, We're to glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In other words, there's a refining process to those who fear God, to those that call upon the name of Yeshua, you will be stripped. You'll be stripped of your pride. You'll be stripped of bitterness. You'll be stripped of all these ugly things that actually the world puts into our heart that the enemy wants to sow into you. When you face these things, it's amazing how quickly you find people get perspective per se. Let's say someone that's come down. I've known so many people that have gotten cancer. You want to talk about having perspective on what matters and what's real and about turning back to God and crying out to him? It's fantastic to see. Don't wish that upon your worst enemy. It's horrible experience. But the fruit that you've seen it bore cannot be denied. Powerful. Absolutely powerful. And the Lord would not take this from Paul. And so his ministry was being plagued by a demonic spirit afflicting him. Causing discomfort. But he readily accepts it. That the power of God, that the power of the gospel can go forth. Now that is sacrifice. And this is what Paul is expressing to the Galatians. This is what he gave up. This is what he went through. So that they could be saved. Amen. We're going to end here for today.